Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. I am really excited about today's, uh, my guest today and today's episode. Uh, The moment that we are recording this, and depending on when you you end up listening to this, uh, episode we are going through uh, some some intense times on planet earth as a humanity in america in the world uh, so many things happening and uh, i know a lot of you are experiencing a sense of fear uncertainty um, it's challenging it's challenging to find one's peace and center uh, within oneself and so i think my guest today will, is I'm just so excited because I think she's the perfect person to speak to what it takes to really find a sense of peace within oneself so that we can navigate the world uh, somewhat sanely. She's an internationally renowned uh, meditation teacher, psychologist. Uh, She wrote a book that really touched me many years ago, Radical Acceptance. Her new book, if you haven't read it, Radical Compassion. Uh, Check out her work. She's amazing. She has a popular weekly podcast, downloaded 2.8 million times a month, if not more, uh, along with Jack Cornfield, leads the mindful, Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Certification Program, serving participants in over 50 countries. You probably know of her, and if you don't, you're in for a treat. Tara Brock, welcome to Soul Talk. Oh, what a pleasure to be with you, Coot. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really honored. You know, I, I read... Uh, Radical Acceptance many years ago, and it really just really touched me and moved me. So I've been very excited to have the conversation with you. Uh, I have so many questions based on especially some of the things that are happening in our world right now. And uh, I just want to set a bit of a context, if you would be willing to take a couple of minutes maybe, and just for those that may not know of your work, just to just share a bit about, I'm always curious too, you know, how teachers and and thought leaders uh, got, got started doing what they're doing. So if you'd be willing just to share a bit about like, how, how was that journey? You know, because we don't really teach meditation and mindfulness in school. At least I didn't learn it growing up <laughs> as a kid. And so I'm curious about your journey and how that came about and, uh, you know, how that led to this moment. And then I want to deep dive into some, some, some questions. Sure. Well, I love I love that inquiry. Um, I started in almost 50 years ago, believe it or not. But what got me going was this. I was when I was in college, I was a social activist, very involved with tenants rights and anti-war and all sorts of things. And I started going to yoga classes while I was doing that. And what happened, Coot, was I'd go to these rallies and gatherings and meetings and people would be like, you know, pumping their fists in the air and it would be really angry and it had of it and it was always against an enemy out there and 
then I'd go to yoga class and there was a quality of peace and love and all that. And I realized that we were not going to create the world we believed in with the energy that we were revving up, you know, the, it was so divisive. So I took a real turn. I was, I had been going, I was going to go to law school and I had a whole different agenda and I landed up in an ashram instead for about 12 years. I lived in a, um, in an ashram, practiced meditation and yoga and so on. And, and then got into Buddhist meditation. And what's interesting is during that time, I reactivated in terms of, um, you know, political action and so on, but really from a different place. And that doesn't mean I don't have anger. I do have anger, but it's, it's got a way to be channeled that feels much more towards the good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I, I, you know, since you, you, you just came straight out of, out of the gate and hit a, a really amazing point, we're in a moment of time right now where a lot's happened. You know, the, the George Floyd lit the, the fire and people are... Uh, protesting and there is anger and rage and uh, obviously justified to a degree. And, and, and I'm curious, you talked about we, we, we can't really bring about peace from this place of anger, rage. So I would love to hear your, your thought on what, what do we do? You know, what, what, how, do, how do we make room to feel the anger, feel the rage of injustice? Does that mean we don't protest because if we're protesting from anger, it's, I don't think that's going to be the solution as you mentioned. So how do we bring about the change? Where do we start? Well, first off, I think anger is necessary. Okay. I really do. I think we're designed to feel anger just the way we're designed to feel fear. It's an intelligent part of our nervous system. And right now I think it's intelligent to feel angry. It's also intelligent to feel filled with grief and it's intelligent to feel whatever emotion we're feeling. So I don't see any uh, good political movement or social movement in history that hasn't had anger at the injustice that people are living through. And in this case, it's horrific. You know, the, the mm -hmm. 400 year legacy of violating black bodies, hearts, and minds is horrific, and there's supposed to be anger. So, and, and I feel it, and I feel it too. So one of my friends, uh, Ruth King, who wrote uh, Mindful of Race, says that anger is initiatory, but it's not transformative. Mm -hmm. And I think the point is that, yeah, anger will get us energized. It tells us there's an obstacle and we need to act. But then if we can't move on beyond the anger and sense really what's underneath the anger and live and speak and act from that, what we end up doing is perpetuating the cycles of violence. So mm -hmm. I'll give you an example, Kut, from for myself, because I have felt um, a deep outrage. And uh, just two days ago, several of my friends were downtown in Lafayette Square when uh, President Trump muscled in with the tear gas and so on. And there, it was a peaceful demonstration. And mm. just to hear what it was like from them, you know, I could feel how much comes up in me. Yes. And of course, with the threats of turning the military on our people, you know, when, when, when demonstrations and protests are part of our, part of the way that we 
mm-hmm. we grow and change. So here's what here's what I did. Um, I I felt the anger come up, and I completely uh, acknowledged it. Just complete. This is this belongs. This is natural. Mm-hmm. And then what I do is I feel it and feel what else is here. And underneath the anger is fear. And so I let myself feel the fear of how many more people are going to get hurt. And then I open even under that and there's care. It's like, mm-hmm. I really care. I mean, when, whether the phrase is black lives truly matter or light, you know, I just care about what's happening. So if I can then feel that, then I can speak and I can act from a more whole place. But if all I do is speak from the anger, I'm not going to get across my message or enroll people or, you know, it's not, it's not going to work. So mm. I'm just giving an example that yes, not, to get, yes. not to get rid of it, to yes. feel it, but then find out what else is there. Because underneath our anger is that there's something we care about. Yeah, I like that. Underneath the anger is something we care about deeply. So let's say someone, because I'm thinking about how, how, does, how do we, how does an individual you know, not just the situation, because I think we all have moments, whether it's in a relationship, whether we've been, you know, cheated on or betrayed by a lover or a husband or a wife or someone we care about deeply or a business partner, and we feel anger, and the other person doesn't acknowledge it. They, they, they dismiss it. They're dismissive. Sometimes it's a little hard to get underneath the anger or move beyond it when it's not acknowledged or, you know, amends haven't been made. How, how, do, how, do, we, how do we go beyond that anger when, when I guess, when, when, when it's never acknowledged, you know? Yeah. Does that, does that make yeah. sense? I mean, how, because it's, 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 it is, it's so hard. I mean, obviously, it's easier when, when if you say to me, Tara, Kud, I'm so, I, I apologize, you know, I, I screwed up, I, I didn't mean that. And, and the feelings are acknowledged, but when it's not... It's harder. So in that instance, guide us there a little bit. Sure. And that happens a whole lot, of course. Yeah. And it's really difficult when we're in the thick of it yes. to pause internally and say, okay, I feel the anger. Now what's underneath this? Now, you know, it's very hard mm-hmm. to do that kind of a mindful process then. Um, sometimes the best we can do is refrain from lashing out because there's some place in us that knows that's not going to get us what we want. It'll temporarily give us a feeling of relief or power, because that's what angry lashing out does. But it's, it's actually a kind of weak form of power, because it doesn't come from our wholeness. So what we, we do the best we can with not causing more damage in the moment. Mm. There's work on the sidelines, even when, whether it's a person who won't acknowledge that they've hurt us are a government that will not change how they're acting and then continues to to behave in ways that threaten our lives internally it's not going to help us to lock into anger it it completely sabotages our immune system and it armors Mm. our heart and then i can't be angry at one person and then be talking to you and have any quality of openness or intimacy so we need to have some way of working with it, even, the, even when the world does not cooperate, even then. And the way that can be helpful is 
again to on the sidelines when we have time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I often use this process I call RAIN, which is so helpful. And there's all sorts of free guided meditations on RAIN you can find. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it stands, the acronym is recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. And the way I do that with anger is that when I'm, you know, if I feel like, okay, I'm not going to get what I want back and it's still going to be here. Then I recognize it. I mentally whisper, okay, angry, angry. I allow it. I say, okay, this belongs just like a, a wave in the ocean. This belongs. And then when I investigate, it's very much in my body. Like I'm not, continuing to play the storyline i feel the swelling and the heat and and i and i ask that angry part of me you know what is it what's what's really here and usually it's either fear or hurt mm-hmm. the nurture piece is how we ourselves bring care to the part of us that's fearful and hurting and it might be that we just, I often will put my hand on my heart and say, you know, it's okay, sweetheart, or I'll, mm-hmm. or I'll imagine some vast light and loving presence just kind of pouring love into me. Either way, yes. if we can come to some inner healing around it, then we are not dependent on others cooperating with us because it. Make, mm-hmm. it, it's a really weak place It's to be dependent on another person acknowledging that they've harmed us. Mm-hmm. They might or they might not, but we don't yeah. want to be hijacked by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whew. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think in, that, in those moments, we, we end up giving our own sense of power and freedom away. Um, it's so hard though in, in, you know, in the, you, you, you said something like in the moment when we are triggered, you know, it's so hard to be mindful in that moment when we're seeing red. Are there any other things that mm, those listening in can do in the moment? Like your, your wife says something and just you lost it, you know, or your kid says something and you've just, you're lashing out or just in the height of it. Is there anything else that we can do to, cause it feels like in those moments we, 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 we go into a trance, you know, we ah, somewhere yeah. else. So <laughs> like, what do you do in that moment? Because it sounds yeah. like, it sounds amazing right now. Like, okay, got you Tara. I understand, you know, yep. sounds but like <laughs> but in the moment all, all hell breaks loose and we feel so unenlightened, you know? We're, we're- okay. So let's get real on that one. Cause it's really good. Uh, you're, I love that you use the word trance. I, yeah. We go into a limbic hijack, mm. you know, we get triggered. And what happens is that with, this is with any major stress is that our survival brain takes over and it's fight flight. So we get hijacked. It, it takes over and we are controlled then by our fear and our anger. We actually lose contact with our prefrontal cortex, with the perspective, the intelligence, the mindfulness, the compassion. We can't, there's no way we could see through the other's eyes, you know. So we get small and you're right. It, we see red. It's, it's a very, very, um, it's very compelling. So there's a couple of things we can do. One is on the sidelines, anticipate how that can happen. Like know the situations and be prepared to interrupt your own reaction by taking Mm -hmm. three breaths. In other words, if you know that certain 
ways that your partner judges you and you just absolutely get inflamed, then plan ahead when that happens that you're going to absolutely say nothing and take three deep breaths and just say to yourself, you know, come back, come home, be here, remember, you know. Mm -hmm. And then what will happen is you might or might not go ahead and lash out but there's a little more of your prefrontal cortex um, online again. <laughs> mm. And there's been a lot of research that, that shows that when we're in the heat of something, just having a little bit of a pause gives a chance to have a little more access to our sanity. Now, sometimes three breaths won't do it. And we have to forgive ourselves that we are going to behave in ways that we don't want to. In fact, if we don't forgive ourselves, we'll actually be more inclined to behave those ways. We can't punish ourselves into being the person we want to be. But if you practice on the sidelines and actually run through it and pause and breathe and tell yourself something to kind of talk yourself down, you actually start getting more um, choice when you're in the thick. I like that. So actually planning ahead but you're talking about before before we get triggered before that moment of before it happens it's like rehearsing being aware that it's going to happen being aware of the of the moments that trigger us particularly and just kind of deciding what we're going to do in those moments when they arise before they happen yes is, is that that's exactly right because you know if i asked you Coot, in your life yeah do you know the situations where you go into trance? Of course. I mean, yes, yeah. absolutely. We do. Yeah. We yeah. do. We know our patterns. What we, mm -hmm. And there's that whole neuroscience piece of neuroplasticity. We can change them. Mm. And that neurons that fire together, wire together, the more we do them, the thicker the grooves, we can interrupt those behaviors. That's what habit change is. But you have to actually practice. And even little interruptions actually um, make a big difference. Got it. You talked about, um, you mentioned the pause. You said the word, the pause. And I'm curious, you know, and having that pause between our reaction and just reacting increases our ability to, to respond, to choose, to choose how we want to respond. What ways, how can we, I guess, increase the pause. How do we cultivate an increase of that pause uh, so that that, that that sense of pause and, or space just expands, you know? Because I think for many of us, it, it, either there's no pause or it's so small that there's no room for anything else. What, what ways can we become more expansive and spacious? And how do we cultivate that? Yeah, well, you're, I love what you're honing in on. I call it the sacred art of pausing. Oh. Um, and it has a lot of relevance for addiction, too. Mm. That it's the same thing as anger. I mean, it's the same patterning that we feel the impulse to act and we can't stop it. And, oh, I've had people in 12-step programs tell me that learning the art of the pausing uh, was as valuable to them as, you know, two years in, in meetings, you know, just, just because it, it gives us a chance at mm -hmm. having 
you know, being guided by a wiser part of ourselves. So how to expand it? There are a few different ways. For myself, I use my body. And so not only do I take those three breaths, but I will tell myself, okay, relax your shoulders, relax your hands, relax your belly. I also will tell myself to, um, it, sometimes just the image and sense of a half smile. Um, it's not to pretend that we're up, upset, but it actually is an outside in way to affect our nervous system. A slight smile and mm. softening our eyes actually shifts us out of such a strong fight, flight, freeze, hijack and um, lets us kind of come back online. If I'm not being seen, like if I was on the phone or on this kind of a, you know, another person couldn't see me, I'd probably put my hand on my heart. Mm -hmm. Because again, there's research that shows that if you bring some warmth to some of the neural net centers in the body, like the heart, like the heart area and the chest, it starts calming the sympathetic nervous system, we actually start calming down. So between mm. breathing, trying to tell your body to relax, putting your hand on your heart, a slight smile, and then in some way, and this is probably the most useful, ahead of time when you're preparing, sense what the message is that's most going to guide you. Mm. So for me, it's usually that what I'm most wanting right now, I'm not going to get if I lash out. Mm. It's yeah. like it almost makes it certain I won't get it because all that happens when we lash out is that the other person becomes more defended and yes. more reactive. They yes. can't hear us. Yes. Mm. Mm. What I'm most wanting, I'm not going to get when I lash out, yeah, that's powerful. Wow, using my body, smiling, hand on the heart, breathing. The planning ahead of time is, is that, that, that one took me by surprise, Tara, because that, that's, that's not thought of that. I think that's a, that's a beautiful uh, practice um, to assist us in being more present. For someone who, for someone who, let's say someone feels that my current reality, or, or like when I'm present with my reality, my relationship, my life, how I feel about myself, is so shitty. It's so, it's, it's horrible. And the thought of being present with myself and my life you know, is just feels like more pain. Um, it's already hard. It's already bleak. I don't want to be, I don't want to be present with my reality right now. Um, what could you say to that person? Usually when people feel um, it's intolerable to be with my reality right now, yes. they're, they're actually... Um, talking about with my story about my life. My story. In other, words, mm. in other words, usually when we say I can't be with my life, it has to do with what's going wrong in my life and it has to do with what I think is going to go wrong or it has to do with what I think is wrong with me. 
But if we actually are getting in touch with the moment, this moment's experience in a sensory way, in a non-conceptual way, it feels unpleasant sometimes, but it's not so intolerable. Now, now the caveat here, Kud, is if we're in a traumatized reaction, then yes, it can feel overwhelming. And I actually don't encourage people to come into presence with the trauma. There are okay. other ways to um, soothe the nervous system, calm down before we try to get into presence. Mm. But for a lot of people, when they say, my life is so shitty, well, that's the idea that they don't want to hang out with. But if they actually start practicing this moment, what does it feel like to feel this particular breath? What are the sounds like right now? You know, what happens in my body when I just kind of soften my hands and feel the life in my hands? And what we start finding is that there's actually space in this moment and it's actually a refuge. And, and so if we, don't, if we feel sick and if we're sad or if we're um, fearful, it's going to feel unpleasant for a time, but actually, and this is so interesting, our emotions have a life of about 1.5 minutes. <laughs> if, you know, if we let them come and go, if we start thinking about what's going wrong, they can become a lifelong mood. Wow. But, but if we come into the present moment, we're actually present. Yeah. Unpleasantness will come and go, but it actually settles. And, we can actually find a space and a peacefulness and even a tenderness towards what's going on that's really sweet. Mm. I love that. And in terms of the thoughts, you know, I think you had a, a great point about the stories that we have about our lives. And so what about thoughts? You know, I think many times it seems like we, get, we are bombarded with so many thoughts. How does one navigate, relate to, deal with their thoughts, um, especially the toxic thoughts or the negative thoughts or, you know, the judgmental thoughts? You know, there's a thing in sort of self-help, the law of attraction, and it's all about only think positive thoughts, only think positive thoughts. So, you know, we, we tend to like push away any negative thought. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to think that, I don't want to deal with that because I might attract that. And so, uh, what is that? Is there a correct way to deal with our thoughts? Um, how do we deal with our thoughts in a way that uh, we can sort of uh, expand our sense of peace inside? Mm, mm. Yeah, there was one meditation master that was asked to describe the world, and his response was, lost in thought, you know, mm. and, and we are, you know, I feel like our deepest trance is this, that we're living in a virtual reality most of the time. We're not right here, we're living in our ideas about life, and so that's one of the real um, pitches for meditation, which is, that meditation does train us to notice we're lost in thought and kind of like an airplane flying through a cloud, notice we're in the cloud and come out, like enlarge ourselves. So the cloud could be there, but we can remember the sky. We can remember a much larger, more vivid and immediate reality. Mm. So it's a training <clears throat> that we just spend some time getting the knack of noticing, okay, this is thinking. 
Mm. I don't have to believe my thought. I actually, I am not my thought. And when we get the knack of that, it doesn't mean we don't go ahead and think. I mean, thinking is part of our survival and it's part of flourishing. But we have some choice as to whether we're going to be living in fear thoughts or whether we're going to be living in a much more awake and immediate presence. And as you said, huge percentage of our thoughts are not helpful thoughts. I mean, <laughs> we, we have this negativity bias. We're fixated on what's going to go wrong. And so we end up having thoughts about that. So it's very, very freeing to get the knack of coming out of the story and coming into our breath or coming into the sensations in the body or listening to the sounds that are right here. And we start finding, wow, there's a, a refuge outside of thoughts that really can feel like home. So, because sometimes it seems, Tara, that the thoughts are happening Either like we're not conscious of the thoughts, but there's also moments where it feels like the thoughts are happening so quickly. And can we start, begin to consciously choose our thoughts or do they just happen? I'm just kind of yeah. wondering yeah. about that because sometimes it doesn't feel like we're choosing them. They're just <laughs> like, you know, sometimes we have moments where it's like we weren't even aware that we were thinking all these thoughts for the last five minutes, but they were going on, you know? And so how much can we choose our thoughts is what, what I'd like you to speak to. Not, not a whole lot. I mean, really, uh, there's one, one description that we have 68,000 thoughts a day and about 98% mm -hmm. of them we had yesterday, <laughs> you know? It's mm -hmm. like we have, we have habitual thoughts that run through before we're even some of them, they're not even in consciousness. So the idea is not as much to choose our thoughts, although that there's, a, there's a small piece of, of practice where we can intentionally say, okay, right now I want to reflect on what I'm grateful for. Mm -hmm. And that can be, oh my gosh, how sweet and how freeing. And so I really encourage people to, um, you know, daily take some moments to reflect on what they're grateful for. My my husband and I, when we, we do our morning check-ins a few times a week, we will meditate and then talk. And that's the first thing we do is no matter what's going on, is we'll say, okay, what I'm grateful for right now. And then we'll speak it. And, and then after that, we'll talk about what's challenging or we'll even ask the question, mm -hmm. you know, what is between us and feeling close and open and connected? Mm -hmm. But first we start with gratitude. So, so there are some areas where we can get in the habit of choosing healing thoughts. What yes. another healing thought is for me to sense, let's say I'm thinking of you, you know, can I just to remind myself of the goodness that's living through you? Mm. And, and that brings up a real sense of warmth or affection. So we can do some of that intentional mm -hmm. thinking. But for the most part, it's about getting aware of when the thoughts have taken over, like go, like realize, oh, okay, I've just been lost. I've just gone down the train tracks on this one. And just very gently opening our attention back to the senses, back to the breath, and knowing we don't have to go for that ride. Awareness is, is key. And so mm -hmm. I, I really want you to, to maybe shed some light on, on what I, I think some people might be wondering and 
I wasn't planning on going there, but the, the whole idea of law of attraction and what you think about comes about. Your thoughts create your reality. And um, based on what you're saying, you're saying it's more important to become aware of our thoughts and bring, bring the, the awareness and the compassion, the consciousness, the presence to them. Mm. How much do our thoughts create our reality? Is, is there any benefit in intentionally increasing the intention to think positive thoughts, you know? And because, you know, for many years uh, in, in self-help in America, there's the books, The Power of Positive Thinking, right? And, and think positive thoughts and I can do it and I will do it, you know? And so is there value to that? Is, 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 what is the value to that? Is there value to that? How, how to navigate that? Yeah, so it's a really deep and important question, I think, because mm -hmm. there's a certain value to, as I said, thinking positive thoughts like gratitude or like what we appreciate in another person. Um, what it does is it creates an atmosphere that allows us to come fully into presence. It, it opens the heart. It reminds us that we're not separate. It it's, it's really serves to create a whole atmosphere that's really healing. Mm -hmm. But the deep freedom, that's mm. not where the deep freedom is. The deep freedom is when we're aware of the thoughts and realize that's not who I am. Right. Because even when you're thinking a positive thought, there's still a sense of an I and there's a sense of another person. And it, so it's, we're still living in a reality that's not completely awake. But when we realize, oh, these thoughts that come up, you know, like, like waves in the ocean, um, they might be useful, they might not, but they don't define me. And that's what allows us to rest in the ocean and know that we include the waves, but we're not defined by them. And that's where the real freedom is. I love that. I love that. In terms of forgiveness, you know, I think we've all had moments where we've either been hurt, um, been betrayed, um, or we've done things uh, in our past that we are ashamed of, feel guilty about, judging ourselves about. I'd love for you to talk a bit about forgiveness and how, because, you know, it, it, I think it's something that we understand intellectually is good for us and we should do when Jesus said it, and it's, it's a thing to do. But it's one thing between sort of understanding it versus actually experiencing it. And so for someone who might feel challenged in that area, maybe they're holding on to something that's been done to them or they've done, um, how, can they, how can someone truly forgive? Mm -hmm. You know, so when I, th I think about that, it's really for the full for us to be fully who we are, mm -hmm. we need to release the armoring around our heart. Mm. And it 
if it's if we try to do it prematurely or have a should around it, it actually yes. creates more armoring. Mm-hmm. So let's say if somebody else has violated us, um, I, I have a friend who would hear talks, spiritual talks about how she should be forgiving. And her brother had <laughs> molested her when she was a kid and she just couldn't forgive him. And every time some, she'd hear that kind of idea that you should forgive him if you want to be free, it made her feel more ashamed of who she was. And wow. so that wasn't the message. But what was valuable was when the message was find the place that feels hurt and offer the deepest, tenderest compassion you can to that place. And that became her path, that rather than trying to forgive her brother, she just started opening her heart more and more deeply to that young part of her that felt so dirtied and so violated and so bad. And over time, the more she became tender with herself, the more spacious her heart was. And then she could actually start looking at her brother and seeing past the abuser to the young person that was confused, himself scared, you know, just not, not, not at home with himself. And not that she would want to lower her boundaries with him too much. She still feels she needs to be bounded, but her heart was no longer holding a real venomous feeling towards him. So I, I often will, in teaching about forgiveness, say, don't try too quickly to forgive the other. Make sure you've brought mm. a lot of compassion to the place in you that's hurting. And if you do, then you'll be able to see clearly a little more of the realness about the other. Because there's a, a story that's always touched me, Coot, and it, and it has mm. to do with a, um, if you're walking in the woods and you see little dog by a tree and you go to pet it and the dog just lurches at you with its bangs bared and you go from feeling, oh, cute little dog to um, bad dog and you feel angry. And then you notice that the dog has a paw in a trap. Mm-hmm. And then you shift again and you think, oh, you poor thing. But you might not get real close because it could still bite you, but your heart understands that behind mm-hmm. its behavior it's hurting. Mm. Oh, I love that. If we can see yeah. behind the mask of those we are angry at, blaming, <clears throat> to where people cause suffering because they're suffering. That mm. doesn't mean we want to get near to their behaviors, but it means our hearts can have the wisdom to see that. But it mm. usually first takes bringing compassion to ourselves. Mm. Of that. I'm really feeling what you're saying about finding the place inside of ourselves first that feels hurt and offering the compassion and, and, and the loving to that, ten, to, the, to that tender part of ourselves. And do you, feel, do you feel that what you said goes for everyone in terms of, you know, someone hurts us, they must be deeply hurting? Because it, you know, I, I think... To, it, it does seem that there's some pretty, at least, this is the story, and, and I think some people might be thinking it, that some pretty crazy people out there, you know. And so we look at Hitler, okay? We look at people that have committed atrocious crimes. It seems so hard to find compassion for that person, 
and hearing you say, well, they're hurting. Is that, I guess, I guess is, does that apply to everyone, do you feel? Um, even a Hitler, even a, you know, gangster, even a criminal anarchist, even, a, you know, Donald Trump, even, like, is it everyone? Is, and is, yeah. there a, is there a danger in sometimes being, because, comp- you know, I mean, many years ago, I remember there was a guy in my life who I showed nothing but compassion to, and the guy just kept hurting me and just kept hurting me and just, no matter how much compassion I felt I had, it just it was, was horrible. And so does it apply to everyone? And is there, a, is there a point where the compassion can be dangerous? Having too much compassion can be dangerous? That might be a concern too for some people. Yeah, so both are great questions. And I'm going to start with the second one, which is that if it's real compassion, and mm-hmm. by that I mean not kind of manufactured, not because you're trying to be moral and ethical, but there's just a very open, unconditional care in you. Yes, yes. There's also a wisdom. Oh. And when we're awake, when our hearts are awake, they're also wise. And we don't go near that dog. You might from a distance go, you poor thing. But you know that you have to have your boundaries. So compassion does not mean removing our boundaries. You can forgive someone and want to see them put in jail. You can forgive Mm. someone and never Mm. talk to them again. You can forgive someone and vote them out of office. You can do anything you want. But it's just about the freedom of your own heart. That if your own heart is in aversion towards another, your own heart is contracted. And in Radical Compassion, what I talk about is how radical compassion is where we in a very embodied way, just feel that that open-heartedness that um, is really all-inclusive, that there's that all living beings are part of our heart and that we care about all, but it does not mean that we interact in a close way with all. So boundaries, yes. The other piece to say, though, and I think your first question about is everybody hurting? Of course, there's no way to subjectively know. Yes. But I think that my own take is that there are psychopaths in this mm-hmm. world, mm-hmm. in every culture, through history, there have been psychopaths, where to different degrees, they do not have any, um, their, their neural wiring for relationship, their capacity for empathy, it's all cut off. And it may be that there's no emotional pain registered in the way that we understand emotional pain. So you might say, no, they're not suffering the way I know suffering. Um, And yet they're living beings. And in some way, they're not getting to live the fullness of a human life. Mm -hmm. And so some part of us can just recognize that they've been, you know, kind of contracted into some small bit of limbic reactivity and know that that's, they're not going to meet their potential this lifetime to, to really live or love fully. Mm. Even, even finding the compassion for that and where they're at. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I love what you said, the finding the, the freedom, regardless of the other person, is really finding the freedom in our own hearts. Um, I think that, that's really, for me, that, that sounds and that it, is powerful. And yeah, because we 
really forgive for the freedom of our own heart. Mm-hmm. And it happens to help others too. Like I've seen many, many situations where, and I can speak in my own life, where when I finally let go of something and I'm just really no longer holding the blame or grudge, that that atmosphere I create when I'm with the other person actually helps them relax and actually behave the way I wish they would have. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. But so mm-hmm. we, our, our hearts do affect each other, but really to know that when we're unforgiving, we're just holding on to an armoring. Now, sometimes it can't be helped, and sometimes there's an intelligence to the armoring. If we've been traumatized, mm-hmm. it's not healthy to try too quickly to forgive because we really need to in, be protected for a while so that we can regain our resilience and balance. Yes. And I feel like many traumatized people have been misled by the encouragement to go and forgive your abuser because that's not that's down the road sometimes mm, mm, got it well so much wisdom today in the, in the conversation on many levels you know as we go through these times tara um you know these, these months as a humanity we've been dealing with covid19 lots of folks being we've been locked down uh in fear uh, now, in the moments where you know, the, the protests, the riots breaking out, and that's a, another element of things. Um, just from your perspective, I, w- I just want you to maybe shed some light for those listening in, for all of us in terms of like, what the hell is happening? You know, on a on, on a on a evolutionary level, like you know, on one level, it feels like is the world going mad? What, what, what is going on, and how do we make sense of this? And you know, people are like, oh my god, it's the apocalypse! It's the um, it's like the world is just going to shit. And so, kind of like maybe you could provide a bit of context that you see from a spiritual perspective. Uh, do you have a what's your perspective to maybe help us make uh, some? sense of what is happening now what do you see what do you sense what do you feel how can you guide us there yeah Yeah, i'm I'm a a little reluctant to offer a big frame like you know if i was looking at 500 the 500 year view i i have a deep trust that as a species we're waking up I just think that's the that's the trajectory of of evolution, and that over you can look through the span of the last you know twenty thousand years, and about ten to twenty thousand years ago, there was this real spurt in consciousness where we actually became able to uh, we much more uh, facility with language, but we also were able to extend our care beyond kin group. Mm-hmm. And this, this, mm-hmm. is, this is huge because this is the beginning of radical compassion where really we feel a, a belonging with, with the world. And Mother Teresa says that our suffering is because we forget we belong to each other. Mm-hmm. So, so we're on a trajectory of realizing that belonging, including to this larger body, our earth, and, and caring. 
And within that, there are, and I can't even use the word blips, mighty big blips, maybe, mm -hmm. where we really see the suffering of, our, of going into our reptilian survival brain playing out. So, and sometimes you make a few steps towards in an evolutionary way, and then there's a backlash. And right now there's a quite a right-wing uh, reptilian brain backlash of fear whereby, you know, we're getting contracted. There's a lot more us and theming and so on. And it's, we're just in the midst of it. It's going to, it's not going to play mm. out quickly. It's going to, it's probably generations to play out. And I especially am thinking of, you know, how long, how many centuries we have been, you know, at least in the United States, that the legacy of enslaving and lynching and murdering black people and that karma is playing out. It says, mm -hmm. as one woman said, you cannot murder, keep on murdering black people and not have the cities start burning. So um, I heard a, an African proverb recently that says, when a village does not embrace a child, that child will have to burn the village to find warmth. Mm. That child will have to burn the village to find warmth. So we're, we're having cycles where the, the not belonging is causing a lot of pain. But my hope, and I am an eternal, I am optimistic because mm -hmm. I, something in me trusts that, you know, if consciousness is waking up in you, Kut, and in me, yes. and in so many we know, we're not separate. This is what's happening in the species. And that mm -hmm. there's something we're all learning right now. There's each mm -hmm. person in their own way about what kind of medicine we can bring to the future. And, and that's my big invitation to us is to sense, you know, who do we want to be through this? What do mm -hmm. we sense can wake up when, when there's adversity, it wakes up something in us. What do we want in these next few years to wake up in us so that we become a part of a village that knows how to embrace all the children? Yeah, beautiful. Wow, my heart is, uh, I'm, I'm really inspired just, just listening and folks as you're listening to this conversation. Uh, hope you're feeling into what kind of world we all want to co-create together during this time. And uh, with, with love, with compassion, with kindness. Um, Tara, uh, just a final question. I feel like I could talk to you forever. And there's so much, there's so much more I'd, lo I'd love to ask, but I want to be you know, respectful of time. And, um, if there were three, if you were to reflect on your life and think of the most uh, important lessons that you feel you've learned, and obviously different stages, different times, it would be different. And maybe on any give, given day, there'll be a different response. But I'm curious, as you reflect on your life, and your career, and relationships, successes, and failures, based on the three most important lessons you feel you've learned that if you were to pass these on to the next generation, would evolve the next generation the most. I would love for you to just share those, you know, as insights, the, those three wisdoms with us today as we begin wrapping our conversation, what are, the, what are the three keys, the three wisdoms that you would love to pass on to the next generation? Mm. Mm. Wow. So I guess the first would be to really uh, trust the power of awareness. 
mm. that we can wake up this awareness. We can deepen attention in a way that really allows us to remember we're the ocean and then be able to cradle the waves, not mm. fight them. And the second would be trust your own goodness. You know, really, um, any moment that you offer a gesture of kindness to your inner life are, are just, yeah, some compassion, you'll end up feeling uh, more tender, more spacious, and you'll sense that goodness is right there. So trust mm. your own goodness. And then the third is um, look to see the goodness in others. You know, they're really, if we could all move through this world and see our shared vulnerability, you know, how we all have a leg and a trap in a way, but mm -hmm. also see, you know, when you're looking at someone, see the light in their eyes that's looking back and sense the tenderness of heart that's, that's there. Um, that actually calls it forth. Mm -hmm. It lets them be all that they are. So that would be it, the really trusting awareness really bringing kindness to ourselves and sensing the goodness inside us and then seeing that goodness in others. I love that. Three key wisdoms. Beautiful. Could you assign a, uh, like a, a simple but practical homework assignment that literally everyone could go and do right now before they go back into their days? Maybe just a simple thing, an exercise, just take a few seconds. Is there something that they could do to immediately implement? Uh, sure. You can, what's, a, what's a homework? You can do it actually right now as you're listening, which is come into stillness so that you just kind of close your eyes and come into stillness. Take a few full breaths to collect your attention right here. So there's a nice deep full in breath and sense with the out breath, you're kind of letting go, letting go of any busyness in the mind, deep in-breath. Letting go of any tightness or tension in the body. Full in-breath. Letting go of any armoring with the out-breath in the heart. And then sense anything that wants your attention right now. What wants a healing attention? Is there some vulnerability, some sadness, some fear? Just feel in your body, and you might even put your hand on your heart and just offer some message of kindness. It could be simply, I care, I'm here. And notice the shift. Notice the increased sense of presence and love that's right here. So I hope that was simple enough. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was right there with you. I was like, mm. feel it. Mm. Just, uh, Tara, thank you, you know, just so much for saying yes and coming on and just sharing your heart and your compassion. Uh, your compassion really shine, is, shines through. I can feel it as we're, as we're speaking. It's touching me. I know you have definitely uh, will be touching many folks listening in. 
today. Well, I'm uh, really thank you to all your those that are listening in and and to you, Kurt, your your questions are so wise and deep and attuned. It just it feels like we're in a a really beautiful resonant field. So yeah, I'm I'm deeply appreciative. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I've, I've I've long loved your work, radical acceptance, and now radical compassion. Uh, I can't wait to to dive deeper into that as well. What's the best way people can find out about you and your work? And what's the best website and whatever you have going on? Where can people find out more more information? Yeah. The simplest way is at tarbrock.com and you'll see an opportunity to join the email listed. I, I offer a lot of online courses and a lot of free resources, hundreds and hundreds of meditations and talks. So you can get it all on that website and through my uh, weekly emails. Awesome. Folks, you heard it. www.tarabrock.com. We will post uh, all the links on uh, in the show notes and uh, highly encourage you to, to check out her amazing work. I think you, you already have a sense of how potent it is and how necessary uh, bringing more compassion and mindfulness to ourselves and our lives is, especially during this time. Uh, again, Tara, thank you so much for coming on. Folks, send me an email, everyone, Coop Blackson at coopblackson.com. I would love to hear your key takeaways from today's episode. Also, as always, Please download this episode, subscribe to Soul Talk, uh, especially during these times. I want everyone to listen to this particular episode uh, so we can find more compassion and peace for ourselves, in ourselves, for ourselves, and for, for all our fellow human beings and beings on this planet at this time. We are truly all one. So uh, send me an email. I always love hearing from you um, and share this episode with everyone. Sending you lots of love, folks. We'll catch you in the next episode of Soul Talk. Love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.